morning. This morning, as we uh, gather around the Lord's table, we observe one of the two ordinances of the church, and it's really ultimately a beautiful time of remembrance. And yet the value of sitting at the Lord's table depends on the condition of each Christian's heart. And I think that's one of the most important things that we have to consider this morning as we come before the Lord's table is, what is the condition, what is the disposition of our heart as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ? For Paul, the apostle, as he's writing this passage of Scripture, if you look in verse number 23, the Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he... And then, and then the Bible gives us this unique little phrase. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Mike read the second half of this passage of scripture. And um, one of the things that we need to recognize as a church family is the seriousness of the Lord's Supper. But what we're doing this month is, is we're looking at, in the book of Hebrews, three commands that have been given to us by God Uh, For us to gather together, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Uh, Let us um, hold firmly uh, our confession of faith. And then this morning, uh, we're going to take a a, a moment of uh, reprieve or a break from that and look at 1 Corinthians 11. And we want to be a people who ultimately have a disposition of thankfulness. And it's amazing to me that as you read this passage, especially in verse 24, the Bible says, um, actually in verse 23, it says, when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks. And I want us to consider this morning uh, just ultimately what we we need to understand about the Lord's Supper and this ordinance that God gave or that Jesus gave to his disciples for the church. Because as Paul was instructing the church at Corinth, he was instructing them because there were some problems in regards to how they were handling this particular ordinance, this particular command that was given to them by Jesus. And one of the things that we have to understand when it comes to communion and when it comes to the Lord's Supper is that it's a very serious thing to come to communion with an unprepared heart. It's a very serious thing to do that, but also it's a serious thing to receive the Lord's Supper in a careless manner. And this is exactly what Paul is is instructing the church at Corinth to do, and he's talking to them about or, or uh, leading into them a little bit, leaning into them a little bit in regards to their carelessness in this ordinance and, and saying that some of them have even fallen ill because of their uh, unpreparedness as they sit at the Lord's, tab- the Lord's table. Now, the Lord's Supper gives us an opportunity, all of us. It gives us an opportunity for spiritual growth and blessing if we approach it with the right attitude. I want to say this this morning, we never want to get to the place where our hearts are not sensitive to the significance of this ordinance. We never want to get to the place where our hearts are not sensitive to the significance of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper, again, gives us this opportunity to grow spiritually, but as a local church family, we observe this particular ordinance. God has given to the church just two ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism, and the second is contingent upon the first. One pastor said it this way, he says, I I really feel so strongly about these two things as items of obedience, speaking of the Lord's Supper and baptism, that I think a Christian should question his own commitment of obedience if he has not been obedient in these two areas. Sometimes we struggle to know what God wants us uh, to uh, obey, and Uh, And he goes on to say, but this is one area where we don't have to struggle because he says 
be baptized and remember my death in the Lord's Supper. I want to say to you this morning that communion is not to be a missing ingredient in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, nor is it to be uh, something that is ignored. It's not to be a tack in at the end of a service, which is why today the entire message and every song was was sung and uh, uh, the opportunity to worship was directed to um, the death of Jesus Christ. And even at the time of Thanksgiving, we can pause before the holidays and remember what Jesus has done for us so that we can ultimately give thanks for his great gift of salvation that he's provided for all of us who put our faith and trust in him. And so it's not to be an attack on at the end of the service. It's not to be a formal ritual. It's something to be woven into the life of every believer and every follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe it's a remarkable thing. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable thing that Jesus has asked us to remember his death. You know, often we try to forget the death of love, loved ones because it's painful and because it hurts. And yet, Jesus wants us to remember the death that he died for our sins. Why? Well, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 30, we find the answers to that question. In fact, in every country around the world, There are gospel preaching churches where men and women gather around the table of Jesus Christ to remember the Lord's death, to affirm their faith and their allegiance in the great doctrines of salvation and to refresh their hope of his soon return. And in verse 24, I want to again draw our attention to that particular passage when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus never said how many times that we ought to do it, and I know Uh, Our church in particular, uh, pre-merge, we traditionally uh, celebrated or um, uh, observed the Lord's Supper once a year. But as pastors, we felt like it would be a great idea for us to, again, before the end of the year, sit down during this season as we begin to give thanks and as we consider the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the reality that Jesus came to this earth for the purpose of saving us from our sins, it would be a great opportunity for us to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of, of me. And again in verse 26, we read, do this, and as oft as you drink, do it in remembrance of me. It's a commemorative ordinance. It's In many ways, the Lord's Supper is a memorial service. In fact, it commemorates the death of Christ and nothing else. We're not here today to necessarily celebrate the uh, resurrection of Christ or the soon return of Christ. Uh, We're not here to celebrate the birth of Christ. Today, we're here to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross for our sins so that we can give thanks for what he did for us in rescuing us from our sins. It's a memorial service of his death and the price paid for our sins. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ and for those of us who have put our faith and trust in him and who have been forgiven of our sins and all of those things that we have done in our past and all the things that we struggle with in the present, they've all been washed white as snow with his precious blood. Oh, that our hearts would be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving as we consider what he did for us 2,000 years ago. Yet in spite of the soberness of this particular service, there's a phrase that jumps out and it should impact us like never before. And again, I want to draw your attention to, to that little phrase in verse 24 when Jesus, when the Bible says, and when he had given thanks. So this morning, I want to draw your attention to those few words, and I want to begin today with 
the master's thanks. I want you to think for just a moment as we prepare to sit at the Lord's table. Have you ever considered reading this particular passage of scripture, who it is that is exactly um, giving thanks in this particular moment? Who is it that's saying, I'm going to give thanks for this? I want you to consider that. Because this morning, we need to understand that it's Jesus Christ, he who is the creator of the world, that is giving thanks. It's Jesus Christ. One writer said it this way. He goes, Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ is the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. Jesus Christ, the person that never had a beginning, and he's absolute reality. He has the unparalleled honor and the unique glory of being there first and always. He never came into being. He was, he was eternally begotten. The Father has eternally enjoyed the radiance of his glory and the exact rep, uh, representation of his nature in the person of his Son. Paul said it this way to the church at uh, Colossae. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his Son. He, um, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and earth, the visible and the invisible, whether there are thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And listen, and by him all things hold together. And the church said, this is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the creator of all. He is reality. And in eternity past, if we can wrap our finite minds around that, that concept, and if we can bend our minds for a moment, before there was time, before there was anything, in eternity past, Jesus, in the second person of the Trinity, by the word of his mouth, spoke the worlds into existence. And in this moment, as he's getting ready to give his life to to, to be broken and to bleed for the sins of mankind, the Bible says when he had given thanks. That's who we're talking about this morning. And I want to ask you this morning, if Jesus, the creator of this world, left us an example offering thanks, how much more should I offer thanks? You see, gratitude means to show that a kindness received is valued. A kindness received is valued. Genuine gratitude requires that we get past obligation and somehow show that we deeply appreciate what we have received. And I want to ask you this morning, when it comes to your salvation, have you removed, have you moved beyond the obligation of being a thankful person to deeply appreciating the reality that Jesus bled and died personally for your sins on a cross 2,000 years ago? Have you moved past obligation? Because, you know, the path to rebellion, the path to rebellion is ingratitude. Because grumbling entails forgetting God's presence and his blessings in our lives. We do that, don't we? Oftentimes, we, we, are, we are remiss in remembering God's goodness and God's grace and God's greatness in our lives, and we move into a place of ingratitude. And a murmuring and discontented spirit is a great sin. And the cross, listen, listen. The cross reminds us what we have to be thankful for this morning. The cross does that. 
Because if you have nothing else, and yet you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have all that you need. Somehow we make the choice to turn from all that we've received and focus on what we don't have. Don't we do that? We tend to focus on what we, what we haven't received and what we don't have, and we tend to forget what we do have and what we have been given and what has been granted unto us in our relationship to Jesus Christ. What we do in our ingratitude is that we minimize the blessings of this life that have been given to us by God, and we magnify every negative circumstance that we encounter. Before we get all super spiritual this morning, and some would say, well, you know, that was Jesus. He was perfect. Friends, I want to tell you something. If we've been called to follow Jesus, and if we've been called to live lives that reflect the character of Christ, in this moment, Jesus knew the exact moment that he'd give his life, and that when he would shed his blood, and he knew every word, and he knew what was going to happen in that moment. He commended his life, all of it, to the Heavenly Father. And man, what an incredible opportunity that we have this morning that in all of our life, in every circumstance, in every bad phone call, in every uh, uh, bad news that we get, we can, we, can, we can commend our life and our future into the hands of a God who loves us and demonstrated that when his son died on the cross for my sins and for yours. But then we see Jesus Christ, he who is co-equal with the Father. John Piper in his book, Seeing and Savoring Christ, went on to say this, the composition of all things was not only created by Christ, but it's also held in being moment by moment throughout the whole universe by his will. Are you, you get that today? All of this, all of this is held together by Jesus, and it's held together by, by his will. And then he goes on to say, Jesus Christ defines reality. And in the beginning, and he, and he gives it for every second. Fatalities, fevers, fish, food, and fig trees. Anywhere you turn, Christ is the absolute master over all material substance. In fact, when the disciples saw the miracles of Jesus Christ, they were astonished and they said, Truly, truly, you're the Son of God. They recognized his deity. In John 20, verse 28, Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. We're here today to commemorate the death of God incarnate, Jesus Christ. We're here this morning to give thanks to the one who died. And as we approach the holidays, I hope that we can be reminded that God put on flesh to rescue you and me from our sins. And that, my friend, is a reminder that there's no length and there's no distance. It's too far for God that he is not willing to go to redeem and rescue those who put his faith and trust in him. Amen? And so we see this morning As we look at this particular passage, the master's thanks, but then we see the moment of thanks. We see the moment. What was going on when Jesus gave thanks? Well, first of all, we see a moment of betrayal. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 21 that it was on the same night that he was betrayed. In fact, the word of God says this, and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Man, what a moment, right? I don't know about you, but if I know some cat's going to betray me, like I, I've got at least a pocket knife. You know, I'm ready to go. Right? And Jesus knew that this was all a part of God's plan. He knew that this was God's will. 
He knew that this is what needed to happen in order to demonstrate his love and satisfy the wrath of God so that we could escape that wrath and be forever forgiven of our sins. How incredibly faithful our Savior was to the purpose to which he came. If we think if someone is going to If we think someone is not for us, we perceive they're against us and we refrain our heart from them. Do you know that? If you you know someone and you're like, man, they're not really for me and they're kind of against me, we we withhold ourselves. We put up walls. And in that moment, that night, Jesus washed their feet. That night, Jesus sat at the table and he broke bread with those men and he shared with them his heart. He shared with them the next several days and what would be going on. And he was laying it all on the table. Jesus dined with the very one who would betray him. He humbly surrendered his life, and he surrendered his will to God. Today, as we sit at the Lord's table, we're called, we're called, we're called to surrender. And in America, this time of year can be a season of incredible selfishness. And ultimately, as Americans, we tend to think that we control things that we aren't in control of. And so we get so stressed out and we struggle with anxiety and we struggle with all these different um, emotional issues in part, even as followers of Christ, because we fail to surrender our lives and our will to the will of God. We're reminded that what God has called us to do is to be servants of Jesus Christ. So we see the moment of betrayal, but then we also see this moment of agony. You know, I'm not intending to be sensational today, but I think as we sit at the Lord's table, we must be reminded of the agonies of Christ when he hung on the cross. In fact, the agonies of God's son were incomparable. No one ever suffered like this man. Throughout all eternity, we will contemplate the killing of the Son of God, and as we sang this morning, we'll sing, Worthy, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God's own son, was slain for my sins. No one ever deserved suffering less, yet received so much. In fact, the stamp of God on this perfect life is found in two words, without sin. It reminds me of the passage in um, Corinthians that said that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God and Him. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, without sin, became sin. He became the very thing He despised, the very thing that He hated, so that He could take our sin on Himself so that we might be redeemed for all eternity. I want to remind the church this morning that the precious, sinless body that God prepared for His only Son was broken, it was bruised, it was beaten, and it was bashed. He suffered like no other man, and yet, not for any offense that he committed, but for the offense of others. How unjust does that um, uh, uh, appear to be in our human minds that someone would take our punishment, that someone would pay our price, someone would, would, would redeem us from our debt. And we're not talking a car debt, or a home loan, or, or credit card debt, or any of those things. We're talking about our sin that we committed against the holy God. And he took that on himself for me and for you so that we could stand righteous before God Almighty. 
Again, I'm not here to be sensational, but we must be reminded of the unwavering commitment and the self-sacrifice of our loving Lord, lest we forget. Isn't that the point? Do this in remembrance of me? Isn't that the point that we, we remember? I want to remind you this morning, how is his suffering different from any other suffering? Well, I want you to understand that he suffered in the realm of his body. I'm just reading the Bible this morning in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. It says, his appearance when he was crucified was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And in, in Isaiah 53, 2, it says he didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should even look at him. And then in verse 5, it says, but he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. You know, whatever Hollywood does to portray the death of Christ, it cannot be captured completely. In fact, Jesus Christ, he hangs on a cross, and he's repulsive to look at. If ever the sorrows and the suffering of Calvary should engross the thoughts of the Christian to the exclusion of every other topic, it's when we sit at the Lord's table. And this morning, the death of our Lord and Savior should occupy all of our thoughts and monopolize all the power of our memory. Like in this moment right now, we should be thinking and engrossed and occupied simply by the reality that there is a God in heaven who loved us so much that he sent his son to be brutally crucified to pay the debt for our sins. It's a serious matter. He suffered in the realm of his soul. He was buffeted not only at the hands of men, but of Satan and his demons. Colossians 2.15 declares the victory of Christ over the devil and his army at Calvary. His entire soul was beaten and bruised. His emotions were drained completely, but he was not angry. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't doubtful. He wasn't bitter, confused, sad, or, or, or even upset. But he also suffered in the realm of his spirit. Listen, we'll never fully know what it meant for him to be stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. In Isaiah 53, 4, and in verse 10, it says, Yet the Lord, it pleased, to, it pleased him to crush him severely. And then the Bible says in that moment when Christ hung on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus Christ took on himself the sins of all mankind. And in that moment, God turned his back on his own son for the first time in all of eternity. Now this morning, I want you to consider, last of all, the message of thanks. The message of thanks. What, what are we here to remember? What exactly are we doing here this morning as we sit at the Lord's table? What, what are we here to be thankful about? Well, I'll tell you, in verse 24 and verse 25, he says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do you get that? This is my body. And this body, it's not mine, but it's for you. And then he goes on to say, um, it's my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. And after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. What are we, what are we remembering? What are we thankful for? Well, we're remembering that Christ died for us, first, foremost, and simply. Let me remind you, once again, it was a hideous death. One writer tried to capture what it meant that Christ died for us, and this is what he says. 
He said the wound swelled about the rough nails. And the torn and lacerated tendons and nerves caused excruciating agony. The arteries of the head and the stomach were so surcharged with blood and a terrific terrific throbbing headache ensued. The victim of the crucifixion, listen to this. The victim of the crucifixion literally died a thousand deaths. The suffering was so frightful that even among the raging passions of war, uh, pity was sometimes excited. I want to remember this. What are we thankful for? All of this came upon the friend of sinners. Not with brothers at his side, but Jesus all alone and entirely abandoned. He was left alone so that we wouldn't be alone. All the disciples had left him and fled. And in his darkest hour of the history of the world, God the Father struck his own son with our punishment. And we speak of his death, but it was a very specific kind of death that he endured. He was not electrocuted. He wasn't hanged. He wasn't suffocated. He wasn't poisoned. He was crucified in order to shed his blood. And his blood was placed on the mercy seat in heaven, according to Hebrews chapter number 9. The Old Testament saints of sacrifices of bulls and goats did not wash away any sins. They were an atonement or a covering for their sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin because it is without because it is God's blood without sin that pays the debt for our sin. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you think that you can earn your way to heaven or if you can merit favor with God, this message and this passage reminds us that it's Jesus plus nothing else that rescues a man from his sin. And if there was anything that I could do this morning to add to what Jesus did, then why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to suffer so much for my sin if I could just step into the arena and offer up baptism for for my salvation or offer up giving or offer up uh, any type of religious work like coming to church or being a good person? No, my friend, it's Jesus plus nothing else that redeems and rescues a man from his own sin. If our love and commitment, and maybe this is your, maybe this is where you're at this morning. If your love and commitment is waned for Christ, maybe the love that you had for Christ when you first got saved isn't there anymore. Maybe you're frustrated and living life just going through the motions of church. Maybe it's time that you got a fresh glimpse of the cross of Jesus Christ. Man, that our hearts this morning would be filled with gratitude for the one who extended unending grace. You know, I read this passage. I think about how families operate. I think about moms and dads. And I think about how they get um, frustrated with each other and they tend not to forgive. I think about brothers and sisters and sisters and sisters and siblings and how we treat one another. And I think about the reality of what Jesus endured for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we just dismiss away the practicality of this doctrine. And I read this passage and I think, I've been forgiven of so much. Man, if you knew, if I could open the closet today and pull out all the skeletons this morning of all the things that I've ever done, what a shame and what an indictment and what guilt that I would have in my life. And then when someone hurts me or someone betrays me. Here it is, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, sitting at the table with the man that would sell him for 30 pieces 
of silver. We can't forgive our spouses. We can't forgive our siblings. We can't forgive other church members. And friends, that's part of coming to the Lord's Supper, that we examine our hearts. We look at our lives to see if there's any unconfessed sin in our life. We examine our lives to see if we're actually of the faith. We, we examine our lives to see if there's any ought between us and another brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And when I read this passage, I, it blows my mind away to think how Christians live together in unforgiving ways. God help us to be a people here at Jackson Creek that live with the disposition of love and grace and forgiveness because that's what was extended to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 1.18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from, this, from the futile ways and inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but listen, my friends, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The blood of Jesus Christ supersedes anything valuable in this world in which we live. Nothing, nothing is more valuable than what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. In Isaiah 53, 6 and 7, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Man, we've turned our, we've, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We're here today to give thanks for the life that Christ lived, but ultimately the death that he died in payment for our sins. But then we are here this morning in verse 26 to remember that Christ is coming again. He says, do this in verse 25 in remembrance of me. And then in verse 26, and as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you listen to what he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now the blessed hope of every child of God this morning is the soon return of Jesus. Predictions are made every year guessing when the Lord may return. There's wars, there's rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, pestilence, acts of God, and there's worldwide unrest. But I want to remind our church this morning that Jesus is coming again. And how soon we often forget, but it is as we sit at the Lord's table that we remember anew. Listen to me this morning. You don't hear this very often, but guess what? Jesus is coming again. And you don't hear a lot today. When I was a kid, you heard a lot about the rapture, and you heard a lot about the second coming of Christ, and you heard a lot about the fact that Jesus ascended into heaven, and one day he's coming, he's going to descend and come back and receive us into glory. And, and there was a lot of talk about the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and the imminent return means that at any moment, Jesus Christ could return. Nate Saint, who gave his life in missions to the Aka Indians, said, I want to live each moment of my life as if it were my last before I walk through the portals into heaven. Man, I wonder if we really live that way. He's coming, we forget. And oftentimes we put off thinking about the imminent return of Christ. And yet the Bible teaches us that the Lord could return today. And there are some of you this morning that you've been putting off baptism. And guess what? The Lord could return today. That's just gospel truth. That's Bible truth. Some of you are sitting in here today, and you know that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And I hope as you sit in your chair this morning and you hear the message of the gospel, and you see these brothers and sisters in Christ take the bread and they drink the cup, and we recognize and we remember what Jesus did for you, that that would be a testimony to you of your need of salvation in Jesus Christ. 
several years ago when I was a teenager, I was a sophomore in high school, God gave me the opportunity to go to Mexico, and um, our bus driver, he would come, and he would take us to the different services that we would go to, and I remember, uh, for whatever reason, as a sophomore in high school, having a burden for this man, I've got a picture of him in, uh, uh, in my uh, collection. I used to keep it on my wall in my office and in college, and that was the reason why I went to Bible college and surrendered my life to God, because I wanted more people like that man to come to know and love and follow Jesus Christ. And I remember as I was talking to him, he, he began to, I had a, an interpreter, and I was sharing my faith with him and sharing to him what Christ had done for him. And he says, you know, man, I just, I feel like I need to wait. This is what he told me. He didn't say it like that because he was saying it in Spanish, right? And I said to him, I said, you know, the Bible says, through the interpreter, I said this, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And in that moment, that gentleman in Mexico, who I've never seen again, bowed his head, closed his eyes, and he received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Because the reality is, man, some of you a year from now aren't going to be sitting in this auditorium. You're going to get a phone call, and it's going to be your doctor, and he says you've got cancer, or you've got six months to live, or you've got three months to live, or whatever your situation is. You might uh, have a tragic uh, thing happen in your life, and then that, that opportunity is gone never to be captured again. So I hope that if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, that, that you would be reminded of Christ's great love for you and that Christ isn't here to judge you. He's here to offer his free grace to you in the death of the cross. As we think about the coming of Christ, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, his coming ought to create an expectancy that transforms our lives. A transformation that could affect our habits, our relationships, our plans, and our schedules, or even our budgets. Every area of our lives should be viewed in light of the return of Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you this morning, are you ready for Christ to return? Is everything all right between yourself and your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is everything okay with you and your spouse this morning? Is everything okay with, with someone that maybe even be sitting in this room? Because God forbid that something happened to you this week. I mean, one of the things I don't like doing is leaving home after I've gotten into an argument with my wife or even with my girls. The last thing that I would want them to remember if anything were to happen to me was a, a, a negative conversation that we had this, that morning and, and them living with that the rest of their lives. Friends, I want to tell you, life is too short and eternity is too long for us to play with the truths of the Word of God. So shouldn't we put an emphasis on what matters most? And so as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning, we know that His arrival is imminent. And we've prepared our hearts, I trust, as if He were coming today. In just a few moments, the deacons and the pastors are going to serve the elements. And I want you, while these elements are being served this morning, to spend time in prayer and confirm your salvation with the Lord and make sure you have a clear conscience both with God and with man. This ordinance today is to be observed by those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are certain of their relationship with God and those who have been baptized. And so in a few moments, we'll pass the unleavened bread and the wine to everyone first, and then we'll take them both together. At the end of that time where we uh, commemorate the Lord's death, uh, and again, we're doing this a little bit differently this time, but at the end uh, when we're done, 
receiving the elements, just take the glasses and stack them in the cup holders that are in the seats in front of you to the best of your ability. And our deacons will come by after the service and collect those for them to be uh, cleaned afterwards. And so I'm going to ask right now in this moment for um, our musicians to come as we prepare uh, to sit at the Lord's table. And I'm going to ask for our deacons to come this morning as we begin to receive the elements.